it was a bit of a complex surgery in that they had to effectively take out the stuff that was there before. So you have screws and the ACL and all that kind of stuff. They had to take the screws out. They had to take bone from my femur, block up those old tunnels that were in wow. there and then put in a new ACL using my right hamstrings. This time for my third time round, they weren't able to use my own hamstrings, which is what they would normally do for an ACL reconstruction. They actually have used a donor graft. Hey, hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Tan. And if you're joining me for the very first time, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are back, thank you. I appreciate you and all your support. This show is all about human performance. I created this show because I really want to help you be able to perform at your best, whatever that looks like for wherever that is for you. I chat with athletes, health experts, doctors, scientists, and so many more on on the best tips, tools, and strategies to help you perform at your best and discover your extraordinary potential because I truly believe we all have an untapped potential within us and whether we are afraid to tap into that or we don't know how to tap into that or we don't even know that it's there I want to make sure that you are able to discover that uncover that work with that and perform at your best and be the most extraordinary person that you are. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share a story with you because for me, this is something that was so, you would probably term as something little, but had such a profound and wonderful impact on me and my day. And I feel like, you know, if we can share that with others, then hopefully we can start to make, you know, an impact on everyone else's day. And the thing is, it was so small, it doesn't take much. So here's the story. So I'm in the city, I'm in Adelaide. I was in the city and I decided to grab a coffee and went to a cafe that I haven't been to in a very long time. So once upon a time, going back maybe four or five years ago, I would frequent this cafe. And when I say frequent, I was there every morning (laughs) getting the same coffee before work. And of course, when you see the same people every day, they get to know you, they get to know your name and your order. And so it was really wonderful. It was a great cafe. And I haven't you know, it's been four or five years. So this particular morning I walk in, it's really busy and I walk to the counter um, and uh, one of the staff kind of, he's dealing with, you know, some customers and then, you know, directing them where to go to order their coffee, whether it's takeaway or having in. And he then come like shouts over to me or my direction and I didn't quite hear him. I didn't know if he's talking to me. I'm looking over my shoulder. Is he talking to me? Anyway, so I figure he is. So I walk over to him and he said, oh, you take away or dining in, to which I said I'm dining in today. He's like, oh, great. Take a seat. I'll come uh, to you. It's table service. I'll bring you some menus. And so I sit down, brings over the menus, and he goes, sorry, did I get your name wrong? (laughs) Now, I didn't hear what he'd said. And so I was 
like, you know, when he'd called over to me. And so I must have had this really confused look on my face because I was like, did he say my name? Is that what he'd said to me? I thought he was just calling me over. Anyway, so whenever I, I'm thinking, I, I have a look, apparently. You'll, I mean, I don't know if my brain is trying to figure something out or if I'm confused. You can see it on my face. <laughs> it's very obvious, apparently. To which he then went, oh, sorry, you look like someone I know. I'm sorry if I got you confused with someone and, and and that's when I actually like truly looked at him and I was like actually you look familiar too and he goes to me D you used to come here right like a few years it was a few years ago now and I said yeah I did because <laughs> again I'm in shock I'm like why don't I remember you anyway so <laughs> I, I order my food, food comes, which was delicious, by the way, and the coffee was delicious I'll, for all the Adelaideans. I'll tell you which cafe it was in a moment. Um, and so whilst I'm eating my food, I'm like, did he actually say my name, though? Or or just does he think I'm someone else? I, I, was, I, was, I was in doubt. And so this was really playing on me. So I decided then and there that I was going to go up to him and ask him, you know, what do you think my name is? <laughs> Maybe not in those words. But anyway, so I finish my food, I go and pay. And at this point, he's in like the corner of the cafe eating his breakfast on his on his break. And I'm like, Ugh. the old Jackie would go, oh, I'll just leave it. He's having breakfast. It doesn't matter anyway. But I just thought, if he did remember my name, I think it's so incredible. And so lovely a gesture I just I just think it was you know if he did remember I wanted to thank him like I really appreciate that anyway so I decided to interrupt him and his breakfast um and I go over and I say you know when you said my name when I walked in question mark he goes yeah Jackie <laughs> like oh gosh when I'm in shock or surprise I don't actually know what comes out my mouth or I it's never planned and I'm I'm not proud of this moment <laughs> but when he said that I'm like fuck off <laughs> apologies if you're averse to swearing um I was just in shock I'm like so what's your name and he shows me his badge to which is, and and tells me it's Ocean. And that's when it all clicked because obviously that name is quite unusual, not so much unusual, it's, it's, it's not common, right? So when I heard it, I'm like, oh, the memories came flooding back, of course. And I said, look, I just want to say thank you and I really appreciate you, you know, even remembering my name. That, that's all I wanted to say. And uh, he said, no worries, you have a good day. And I said, you too. And I walked off and I just thought... <laughs> You know, that's such a small gesture or, um, you know, just a small interaction and yet it had such a positive influence on me in that moment and then me for the rest of the day. And I just think if we can have that small impact on, you know, everyone we come in contact with, how how much of a better place, you know, it is it we could be in and um how many beautiful moments we could create with people and and um really valuable or you know beautiful connections we can make 
just by one simple thing, you know, whether it is remembering a name, whether it is actually just looking at someone when you're talking to them or saying hi to them. It's, you know, it's the small things that really count. So um, I encourage you to do something small and see how big it turns out to be for someone else. But now with that, I want to get into this incredible episode with a past client turned friend. She's a neurophysiotherapist and an incredible athlete. And I know she would probably cringe when she hears me say that, but she's an athlete and she's incredible at what she does. Her name is Eileen Ting. We have an incredible conversation. Eileen has been through three ACL reconstruction. So this third one is most recent. She's dealing with it at the moment. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see the brace on her knee. So we talk about, I guess, the the challenges and obstacles around injury, especially when it takes you away from the thing that you really love doing, the thing that is so much a part of your routine in your life and, and the way you go about, you know, every day you Yes, it's part of your routine. So to be able to move through an injury that I guess is a setback and this particular one is because it is her third one and and you'll hear why um, it's so significant in, in, in her life and her rehab and the way she's, you know, going about her movement. Um, But also obviously the mindset and the psychology around injuries and you know we talk about the way she's dealt with it in the past she's not quite happy with uh and the changes she's making to to deal with this this injury this time around much better we also talk about her incredible adventures she's an incredible storyteller and she tells a story of a hike in new zealand which just I mean, it blows my mind. I love hearing this story. And, and when I was editing it, I, I would hearing it again and again. It was just, it's so incredible. And I can't wait for all of you to hear this story. And if you're an adventure or hike um, enthusiast, you're going to love this. So stay tuned for that. And then, of course, we talk about her new love of bouldering. I love how she got into it. I love the story around this. And she's someone who, when puts her mind to something or decides to do something, her work ethic is through the roof. She's just incredible at what she does. She sets high standards for herself, which I'm truly inspired by. So this is an incredible conversation. We're mates, so we actually, there's no formal introduction. You'll you'll hear... uh, where you just we just get straight into it we're we're talking it's mid conversation um it's an interesting one because everything that i've just mentioned how incredible she is and how um strong and resilient and um and you know quite a good athlete and yet her mindset around that is not one that i thought um would be where it's at so it's a really interesting conversation and i know that you know it will definitely resonate with a lot of people because sometimes for whatever reason our self-worth and value you know isn't where it should be we we 
we deserve to be seeing ourselves in the light that everyone else sees us in. So without further ado, this is an awesome conversation. Enjoy this one with Eileen Ting. Yeah, there's lots of things that I've done, but I, I don't, I'm, I've never felt necessarily like extraordinary any of those things. I just feel like I've done, like I've done them and I've survived them. Yeah. And like I said to you, it's about like, I feel like a lot of those times I've made lots of mistakes. Sometimes I've, you know, felt like I've been dragged, kicking kicking and screaming through the mud by other people who've, like, been there for me. Yeah. And I've, like, popped out the other end and gone, holy shit, that was intense. So what do you, what do you classify or... Um, think an athlete is what would you deem someone to to call them an athlete yeah. what do they need to be doing yeah that's a that's a good question I mean I feel like I'm a I'm a lover of sport mm-hmm. that I yeah I feel like I'm a, a I'm a lover of sport I'm an enthusiast I'm a I'm a hobbyist that's right. how I feel and I feel very passionately about those sports um and I've you know, I have worked hard at them. Um, but, yeah, I suppose that's a good question because I've never actually considered myself, I've never considered myself an, an athlete. Yeah, I can consider myself mm, like an enthusiast of those sports. Yeah. So, so to you an athlete is someone who's elite? I, th- I, think, I think that is the impression. I think that is what I've been conditioned to to think yeah um but certainly when you put it like that I think of I think of a of of a lot of people in my life who yeah who sports are a really central part of their own identity and they themselves would consider themselves Mm. athletes but it's interesting because I feel like despite (laughs) yeah yeah that there's probably for me been that conflicting idea of elitism versus just being a lover just being a lover and you know yeah having a passion for it that's such an interesting outlook especially for someone like you who is actually a high achiever and strives to get the best from themselves from yourself Mm. and so I, I, I'm yeah. confused by that mindset coming from someone like you who, who achieves, you know, quite a high level um, of success, depending on what your, your definition yeah. of success is. But, yeah. you know, from an yeah. outsider's perspective, you know, you do so well. Like, yes, you're a hobbyist, but anything that you do that you love, you do really bloody well and you work hard for it. I'm going to, yes, I do work, <laughs> yes, I have. I ha- yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, can't, I certainly can't deny that. I think I, I have an intense fear of, of being, and this, this might be flawed, this probably is flawed, but I, I think I've always had this intense fear and also have been conditioned to try to be humble. And I'm still learning what that means also. Um, 
so I think first of all I find it hard to take hard to take a compliment um but I also really respect I think that I have lots of weaknesses okay yeah um we all do yeah so I think I respect a lot that I have a lot of weaknesses and things that I need to work on certainly not not just physically but with my internal dialogue as well Mm -hmm. and I think when we have chatted about and and what I have I initially and have felt reluctant about coming on here and feeling worthy to come on here because I respect your opinion so much is that through this whole process of my sports and importantly getting through the injuries that I've had that I've that I've gone through is I respect that like I had or I I have observed that my internal dialogue at times has been is something that I really need to work on there have been times that have been so hard through through injuries and even through getting and and like participating in these sports where I've I've not been someone that I'm proud of and I've said to you that I feel like sometimes I've gotten through adversity but not as gracefully as I would have liked to you know looking back on those experiences and I do hope that like I've learned from those experiences I do feel like I have um but it's what I said about you know uh feeling like I've just survived and at times you know I've needed so much help to get to where I am and I still have such a long way to go I feel extremely imperfect and I appreciate that you know we all are Mm. um but I do I do feel extremely imperfect in those ways and still still am you know struggling and learning how to to get through that and process the internal dialogue that is unhelpful or is quite negative and that's still a process that's still a process for me so I think of all the inspiring people that you've had on this show and people that I see as conventionally inspiring and I think to myself there you know there are times where I don't feel like that you know I don't feel conventionally inspiring because I you know there are days that are you know thankfully not now but back when I struggled through the initial knee rehab that, you know, the best I could do when I couldn't see any hope for the future, the best I could do was just wake up in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I promise I won't cry. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> can but, yeah. like. But, yeah, so that's, I suppose, what I mean by feeling ordinary. Like I, I do feel like I am average and at best sometimes, you know, less than average in the ways that I have, the, the ways that I have dealt with with challenges and I am still learning yeah I'm still learning we are all and forever will be learning Indeed. and it is always Indeed. a process and there's yeah. so much in that firstly the worthiness piece um like in terms of when you look at the people that I've interviewed mm. whilst you may think and you know I've, I have spoken to extraordinary mm. people mm-hmm. um mm. 
but that's not to say they're extraordinary because they're athletes. Mm. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So, yeah. and it, and it's a crazy thing because you very also true. say, um, you know, that you haven't been proud of the way you've dealt with things. And, and I mean, who can say they're 100% proud of every single moment that they've yeah. been through, especially yeah. when dealing with adversity, challenge, mm-hmm. obstacles, mm-hmm. Um, and something for you where training, whether it's trail running, hiking, crazy adventure sports that you love doing or bouldering, which is something that you've recently started, mm. you know, despite whatever it is you're going through, how can we ever say that, you know, I I, I dealt with that challenge really, mm. really well. That was top notch. That. <laughs> like, what, what, yeah. does, what does gracefully even yeah. mean? Like yeah. how, if you were to look back at those times where you go, that could have been more graceful. What does that mean to what would that yeah. look like for you? Yeah. I yeah, you're yeah, you're you're right. I mean I think there's a there's a saying um if you if you act abnormally in an abnormal situation, that's normal. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean um that is, you know, I I I do I do appreciate that. H- having had the years between the first injury and now this one and now having so many more resources than I did back then I feel like I can say that 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 at the very least I want I I I have the resources to to approach this differently to how I did before and so I do have to step back and try not to be too judgmental of who I was back then. Um, but I certainly have, I feel like in terms of getting through this um, in a way that's less destructive perhaps is what I, uh, um, is probably more accurate perhaps because I look back at the dialogue and the depression that I spiralled into in those in those years because of the lack of resources and because I didn't know what to do um, compared to now and I, ha- I feel like I have the resources and I'm, I'm deliberately choosing not to be as destructive as I was and to be constructive this time and then and to actually use the resources that I have available not to let things pan out how they did the last time or at least put in the the stops or put in the checks as best as I can in what is in my control to make this a better experience than it than it did all those years ago yeah so I suppose that's probably what I mean by more graceful. So yeah. with the first injury, and we'll, we'll explain in a moment yeah. exactly your injuries, yeah. Yeah. Um, you said that you didn't have the resources then that you do now. Mm. So when you look back on it, yeah. do you feel like you did your best with what you had at the time? 
Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, the the best I had was, as I said, some days just just waking waking up and just you know getting through the day. I didn't know what I didn't know. I suppose, exactly. yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know, and so I didn't have as much kind of professional help, both um, physically and psychologically. So I didn't know or certainly didn't know how or didn't know how to access them. We got through it. Yeah, we got through it the best we could at the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. something that yeah. I've um, learnt from um, actually I remember having this conversation mm. with a client Yeah. Um, when I was talking about retiring from massage yeah. and, um, you know, he was saying, well, how do you feel about it? And, um, you know, when you look back on everything, how, yeah, how, how do you feel? And, yeah. and I said that I was, um, a little disappointed because I didn't feel, I feel like I have, have or had so much potential and I never got to that point. And I feel like it, to some degree, it was a waste. And he said, well, none of it is ever a waste because you did the best with the resources you had at the time. And that for me was a really nice. Like liberating. Yeah. 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 Can I just put up my hand and say, you, it was not a waste. <laughs> <laughs> you, you. <laughs> then I feel like it was certainly not a waste it, from, a, from an individual who yeah. was on the receiving end of your extraordinary skills and your coaching and everything. Yeah. It was <laughs> not a waste. <laughs> I appreciate that. Not about me though. <laughs> Come back. Let's um Okay. Let's give listeners <laughs> an hour in. <laughs> Some context. There's a, a lot that happened to get here this morning. <laughs> exactly. It's a miracle or even recording. So if if you're able to watch this on YouTube, you'll see that Eileen has a brace on the knee because, yeah, oh, <laughs> even lifts it up, um, had surgery. A couple of weeks ago now. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. On my, so I had a right ACL reconstruction um, as well as a, a meniscal repair as well, which means, so with the meniscal repair, it means that I have to be non-weight bearing so not putting any weight on the leg for up to kind of four to six weeks or so to let the the cartilage heal um so that's unconventional for just a pure acl reconstruction usually with an acl reconstruction you should be up and moving like asap so that has definitely been like a bit of a that's been a different challenge this time to the first time uh my armpits are very sore Uh, crutches um but yeah but yeah we're half we're effectively a third of the way through the non-weight bearing side of things so fingers crossed that the cartilage heals is kind of the the but that is out of our control we're just yeah we're just waiting for that so to give everyone some context as to the type of athlete you are let's go way back (laughs) when when I first met you as you actually injured 
I was. I you yes. were recovering from ACL. Yeah, another- that was. I think I saw you not too long after. So after I'd had my second, so I'd had a revision surgery. So I had done my left ACL back two thousand fourteen, and then that graft failed um, after about six to six to nine months, and then. We had to go back into surgery, um, had a different surgeon. It was a bit of a complex surgery in that they had to effectively take out the stuff that was there before. So they, you, you have screws and the ACL and all that kind of stuff. They had to take the screws out. They had to take bone from my femur, block up those old tunnels that were in wow. there and then put in a new ACL using my right hamstrings. So I don't this time for my third time round, they weren't able to use my own hamstrings, which is what they would normally do for an ACL reconstruction. Um, they actually have used a donor graft from someone else. Really? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I I mean, um usually my understanding is that Usually, when it the 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 kind of second resort is to use your patella tendon, but there is a high risk that when they use your patella tendon, that you will have anterior knee pain. Mm. Um, well, that's 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 a risk of 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 taking your your patella tendon, which is kind of like part of your quads muscle. Um, so the surgeon who I fully trust opted for a for for a donor graft instead. Um, because they and I didn't actually realize that this was yeah a conventional didn't actually realize that that was a conventional method but um he was confident that it would be eventually just as strong as a as a regular as a regular hamstrings graft so went down that path so yeah so yeah it was interesting it was a bit yeah. of a learning experience for me how did you, how did you become a well I, donor? I think <laughs> I think the key is you're not alive. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm pretty really sure. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So this is like, I suppose. So do they, don't quote me on this. I don't actually know all well, the ins and outs. To be honest with you, I think. I do, the, yes. Well, I, I suppose it's kind of like, like, is it like organ donation? I don't know. I don't actually know, but yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that that is that is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so they effectively, yeah, they they harvest. They can harvest things like that. So hamstrings. Oh my god! Please don't tell me this. <laughs> Anyone that actually knows what happens, <laughs> where these photographs come from? Yeah. Can you fact check that? <laughs> are they dead or are they alive? <laughs> Whoever gave me this one, I'm extremely grateful, honestly, because, yeah, yep, because I wouldn't have been able to provide my own hamster, yeah, provide my own hamster. Because, I mean, that, yeah, my brain is now going, well, if it's a dead body that they're taking the muscle from, are they doing something to preserve it? Yeah, in order to use it. I believe that there is a process of which they. Um, cause I've had other, but again, this is where you need my orthopedic surgeon in the chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a process with which they effectively prepare and preserve, um, 
the, the donor graphs. Yeah. I think there's like a process of like they like irradiate it, then they like freeze it and all sorts of wow. things. Um, but I believe that the process has like evolved over time. So it's become much more efficient and it also preserves the actual integrity of the graft better nowadays oh. than they used to. So my surgeon did mention that in America they do it differently. In the past they've done it differently where the graft does lose its integrity and in that case he wouldn't have recommended doing that. Right. But he was actually quite confident that the way that we do it in Australia, the way we prepare these donor grafts is much better now. And so... Yeah, so here's hoping. So even though I've got a donor graft, what will happen is gradually that donor graft, so that whatever graft I would have had, whether it be my own or somebody else's, over the next kind of couple of months, that donor graft will actually get, the, the graft will get weaker. So the graft actually starts to kind of die off and your own body goes in to like provide a blood yeah. supply and yeah. to actually like provide, put a matrix around it. Um, and so that's why with ACL injuries or ACL reconstructions, they take so long to rehab because mm. effectively for the first four months, that graft is not mature. Yeah. It's really weak. Yeah. And so you can't just get back into sports, Yeah, not just because it takes time to build up your own muscle and things that you've lost over this time, but because the actual graft itself is not strong enough to withstand yeah. like forces. Yeah of like running or whatever it is. So yeah, that's that's part of why it takes so long to rehab after an ACL reconstruction because for the first like 6 months or so the graft is actually your body is having to, to heal to that. Heal, yeah, to strengthen it yeah. up. Yeah, to actually basically like yeah, create like a new yeah, a ligament effectively. Yeah. yeah. How mm. on earth are we getting athletes back on the track, back on the field, like in such short amount of time? Yeah. I mean, again, I, as a physio, um, I, this is also not necessary. This is not my specialty, not my field. So I'm sure if you had an ACL like guru here, they could tell you. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I can understand yeah, I, how you're strengthening everything around it, but you, you, you effectively can't like is that strength really um inhibiting like the force going through it if you're like yeah high jump yeah force going through yeah yeah like just... I mean the actual read so that your the rehab is so 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 important because you need you need as much functional stability as mm. possible and that comes from your your own muscles but in terms of the actual maturity of the graft itself my understanding that it's really only safe to go back, at, you know, back to to your sport, you know, at at the very at the very least at like six to nine months. And so, if you're going before that, I I don't know, I don't know what I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that there is an inherent risk mm. in that. So I know you as a trail runner mm -hmm. for a long period that's yeah. where yeah. I would see you uh, yeah. where you were coming for treatment yeah um tell us about how you got into trails uh-huh yeah. yeah tell us about that oh okay um do you know 
I've innately, I suppose, always just been a, a, a runner mm-hmm. and not necessarily a long distance runner whatsoever. This is actually a funny story. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I did always, I was, I did athletics at school. I was a sprinter. I had this really weird thing where even in my house at home when I was a kid, I'd literally like, I'd run everywhere in the house rather than walk. Right. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Got to get to the other side. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And uh, that would, and I would just, I don't know. I just, I, I was, I just, if I look back now, yeah, I was just always <laughs> a runner. But I was never a naturally like a long distance runner. And as I'm sure, um, you you have seen I mean, you would have experience with trail running is is not a sprinting kind of sport <laughs> it is certainly you know it is that kind of long distance so definitely not a natural long distance runner it was an absolute struggle and I think I just enjoyed the fact that it was yeah I mean it was a it was a great way to move my body and I felt really you know got all the endorphins from it and um realized that it was also a really nice way to see to experience the world too you can cover a lot of ground when you're when you're running and so that probably is what leads me into trail cover running it hasn't come with you know a lot of struggle um so I, I suppose the other this is this is the serious part of it is I just have a really spiritual connection with nature and that's what honestly underpins a lot of what I do and a lot of what gives has has set me off on this trajectory in my life um, and is a huge part of me and who I am is is spending time in nature. And that started with hiking and that started with a friend of mine who literally one day after work said, Elaine, do you want to come hiking with me? And I'd always had a fascination with nature in my younger years through like poetry and literature and um and I and uh, I, I used to read a lot of stuff from you know this is kind of where it gets deep kind of I used to read a lot of stuff by like uh, like transcendental like poets about nature and and their spiritual connection with nature and I always I think like intellectually intellectually accepted that nature was this beautiful thing but it wasn't until my friends had come hiking with me and then I went on this hike with them I was just like a hike up in the Adelaide Hills and I just remember just it was just it was it was an it was an epiphany I finally got to interact with nature in a way that I had always dreamt in the the poems and the literature and I felt it I felt it that day and it was just this like it was this total transformation and I just thought yeah this this is my life now yeah and I think then that just kind of that's just spiraled out of control because then like I've been fortunate enough to now then hike like all over the world um in some of the most incredible and terrifying places (laughs) Um, and for me, trail running was an extension. It was an extension of that. Trail running was like, 
oh, okay, I can see more of this <laughs> in a shorter amount of time um, without carrying as much on my back. So it was just a, it, it probably was sparked from just a practical thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then it just, it, it has grown. It has grown from a, a love and that spiritual connection with nature. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's where it's, that's where it stemmed from. I love I that. Yeah. So, okay, let's go with um, the terrifying places because I really <laughs> want to know. Like how, okay. how terrifying well, and what made them terrifying oh. because you just said, you know, when you're out in nature, you, you really feel it spiritually. Mm. Um, you're really able to connect. So what made the places terrifying? Well, I should also add to that that we've been drawn to places that are notoriously hard to get to. It's like, why Why would you do that? Well, I think it, it comes back to, again, first of all, I think this is the feel-good part of it. Again, it comes back down to, to nature and it's trying to experience nature in its most raw and, like, wildest form. Mm. And so... I mean, I think if I if I reflect on why I escape to nature, I think of the pressures of 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 just everyday life and of society, and how every day in in our society it's it's there's so much focus on the individual. You know, you have to hold on to your identity. It's about you, you know, making progress in your life, and there's so much focus on the individual. And when you, when I escape to nature, that uh, that burden just yeah. it just dis it disappears. You're out there on your own. Nature doesn't care if you're good at what you do, or it doesn't care about you as an individual. It is a completely unbiased, impartial, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you're out there, there is no expectation. Like you are just, you're stripped of ego and it is an extremely refreshing thing to suddenly feel like you are free of that. And so when we go out to nature, we're drawn to places that are hard to get to because they're as far from society as possible. They're as far from civilization, you know, as possible in all of those Most pressures. Exactly. And so naturally when you want to find places that are untouched and don't have as they don't have as much infrastructure to for people to get there, right? Mm. And they're hard to get to, which by extension then means that generally <laughs> it's quite an adventure to get to those places. And I have to say there's not much more that I find satisfying in my life than that feeling of, you know, having trudged through, I don't know, eight, ten hours a day of hiking and then finally getting to a hut or getting to your tent or getting to your campsite at the end of the day, taking off your boots and just sitting there in just pure exhaustion, having just experienced beauty but also hardship but also but 
predominantly beauty and you can just sit back there and appreciate it after you've worked for it I can't there's actually not much more in my life that I find more fulfillment in in that feeling and so there is certainly like a draw the the challenge is definitely a draw card like Mm. I I I really enjoy that um and I did I do want to drop this quote because this quote for me I think is so valuable about going out into nature and having these tough experiences and I'm probably not going to quote it word for word but it's something along the lines of at least once in your life you should find yourself like in the most like rawest of of human conditions you know being out there facing the blind deaf stone alone with only your hands and only your head and that's yeah that's that's how I feel out there like nature can be so I mean it's it's unyielding like I said it doesn't care about you as an individual and so to be out there and to get through some tough spots yeah you are forced to change you're forced to adapt because nature's not going to change exactly. for you yeah. yeah every experience has its own unique flavor mm-hmm. to it um in terms of what i describe as terror what would i describe as terrifying um there have been times, I suppose, so I reflect on a time that we hiked on a remote island off the coast of Vancouver Island, which is off the coast of Canada, where we were dropped off by a float plane on this island. So really the only way of getting off the island was to hike to the other side and then get the float plane back out there. Wait a minute, wait, okay. So, so you've landed on the water. Yep, so we landed on the water Yep, and they've gone... Off you go. Oh, wait. Are we'll you, see you in Are you swimming? Are you boating? No, no, no. Like, they, they, they come up to the shore. Oh, <laughs> they so come up to the shore. Okay. But so, yeah, yeah so they drop us off um, and they go, we'll see you in a week on the other, like, other side of the island. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> by the way, um, there's, there's no one else on there aside from, like, right at the end. Because it's actually like a, um, it's an Indigenous American uh, settlement, right? But right at the end, so that's where we're hiking to. Which is how far? Oh, I can't actually remember. I think it was something like, could be like eighty k's or something. Oh, so that's not, but yeah, but over like several days. Sure. Um, but he goes, oh yeah. Um, so by the way, you do know, and we did know. But just hearing it was quite confronting. He's like, you, "Yeah, you, you, there's, yeah, there's. You'll see, um, you'll see lots of lots of bears and and wolves out there." And <laughs> it was kind of like, "See ya, bye." <laughs> and he was like, "Actually, I don't know. You might not see them, but they'll <laughs> definitely see you." And I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I mean, especially having hiked a lot in places like Australia and New Zealand, where." You know, like there's you really no predators. You don't have like maybe a top, You don't have like top tier predators, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think that was definitely 
that was an that was another level of terrifying for me because I just never experienced yeah potentially being hunted by <laughs> other predators um so it was really interesting that was that was a learning experience because it was we had to do things like figure out like which way the wind was blowing to know like put our food you know obviously like downwind rather than no don't quote me on that I guess upwind rather than downwind anyway you know what I mean I, I um, don't. so, <laughs> so if it's like if the wind's on. blowing you don't want the food to be like blowing over like the scent of the food like blowing over your tent yeah right so because it'll lead bears to you <laughs> so, and I yeah so there was there was like that realization of having to do those kinds of things and then just like walking and seeing like huge like paw prints in the sand <gasps> And there was one day where we had to t- we had to time the hike with the tide as well because it was like if the tide came because this was kind of on the coast if the tide came in we you'd literally just be trapped like in a cove so you wouldn't be able to then like progress to the next yeah. like over the next spot um, and one day we did rock up to a to a cove like re- later than we expected and so the tide come in and effectively got us were like. Blocked you in. Blocked it. Uh, blocked us in in this little cove where we just had to go. Okay, well, this is where we're going to camp for the night. And of course, there was like fresh bear scat, like everywhere. And I, yeah, I, I doubt I slept a wink. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was. That wasn't. That was just. A, that was a different level of. I never experienced having to hike with pre- like predators. Wild. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. And thankfully, yeah, I'm sure they saw us, but we didn't actually see many of them. Thankfully, we didn't have any close encounters. Um, but did you have an encounter? We saw a bear, or like a black bear in the distance. Did but you? like, aside from that, it wasn't real. like, there was no, yeah, there was no, there was no, like, yeah. there was no confrontation. And to be fair, I mean, we had done our research beforehand, how to kind of deal with. How do you deal with them? Well, you are with black bears. You are supposed to make a bit of a ruckus, and the, but to pro, that's if you're like within kind of some kind of closer proximity to them. But ultimately, what you are supposed to do is preventative strategies, which are just as you're walking, just to make a lot of noise. So I can't tell you how much shit I think we talked the entire time just like shouting out just random things along the trail the entire like literally just constant drivel of just nonsense just to make noise and so that's that's ultimately what you're supposed to do again any survivalists out there I'm happy to fact check (laughs) that um but yeah make noise for black bears as you are walking on the trail to give them as much notice as possible that you're coming because black bears are often not as confrontational unless they're with you know cubs sure. or something like that um but yeah make as much noise as possible talk as much crap as yeah yeah you can that was that was terrifying for that that particular sounds experience. spectacular though um and i would be remiss to talk about one particular event where we effectively um this experience for me is by far the one that has been embellished over 
every single campfire uh, <laughs> and every campfire to come. Oh, this one, this this one, this one would be remiss in talking about is um we went so I've been to New Ze- I've been really fortunate to hike in New Zealand a lot. And this particular trip, one of my friends um picked a spot for us to hike, which to put into context, there's very little information about it. Our preparation and our research for this trip effectively required us to look up like other people's like YouTube videos from like years mm. prior and like sift through and try to find people's like um uh like blogs and like posts about mm. this particular hike. Quite remote. Um and in preparation for this hike, again, we had to be dropped off at a certain location. And the only person, again, we found this through like, like obscure blogs. Well, there's, there's one guy, this just regular old farmer dude, who you look up in the New Zealand white pages or yellow pages, white, whatever it is. The one where you, yeah. And you look him up and you like, call his home phone number and you go, I'd, I'd, can you, can you drop me off at this place? He's the only guy that, that does this, like this trip with his boat, like his own personal boat to drop you off at this spot. And you have to go over two big lakes to get to this spot. So there's no, once you're dropped there, there's no way back. <laughs> Other than to hike to the destination and then get picked up by like a helicopter or something, oh. right? So, so my friend was like, "This is a great idea, <laughs> perfect." And we were all like, "And yeah, we 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 can do this. We've got this. This is going to be quite the adventure." And it was, <laughs> it was, um, still the most harrowing experience. So we get dropped off by this guy. And wait, wait, yeah, right. So we, we need yeah. details. So, okay. you're getting, so you're driving from the airport to this guy's place. How long is that? How far is the boat trip? Like- yeah, okay. So we so we drive in our rickety old van um, that we pick up from the airport. It's the van that we – it's like 20 bucks a day, the cheapest van you can po- – the cheapest, shittiest van <laughs> that you can possibly imagine. We love it. It's the best. And – we probably drive, I think, so we get into, so we've gotten into Queensland, Queenstown and you would drive a few hours out of Queenstown. We, Around three hours. Yeah, and then we get, um, then we get to this guy. He's a very reserved man. He gets us into the first boat. We've got all of our big packs on us. We're ready to go. Oh, I should, sorry, I should, I've missed a really critical part of this. Um, when we get got to the when we fly into the airport, one of one of our group's rucksacks with literally every single thing that they needed for this trip did not arrive at the airport. So before we've even sorry before we've even gotten out of Queenstown, we all literally spend an hour and like shops are about to close. We are all we literally go divide and conquer. Everyone go in different directions to find everything that this person needs. Yeah. 
So we literally went to stores to hire waterproof pants. We went to, yeah, because for this particular hike, it's like all the blogs are like, if you think muddy is muddy, this is muddier, right? Like, <laughs> um, like prepare for that there are like at least like eight to ten river crossings. There, It's like mud, 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 mud. Um, so you can't just, you know, just have hiking shoes, right? You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to go do this in my sneakers. <laughs> it's like we were like, fuck, like my, my friend swore. They said, I don't know if I can say it. They said tabernacle in which in Canada is like that's bad. That's like worse. That's that's like ten times worse than fuck. Right. So <laughs> it was like that's how bad the situation was at the time. We were like, we've literally organized this whole thing and this person now has no gear and we just had to divide and cut and we eventually got all these like bits and pieces together to make up this person's rucksack. So then then we then we left sorry that was an important part so then we get there um and he so then he gets us into the boat um and we make our way across the first um the first lake so that probably takes I don't know I I can't remember all the days but I think it was like half an hour trip across the lake we get dropped off like a little peninsula and then we have to take another then we have to take another smaller boat like across the other lake. So he's got like two, so he's got a. Oh, they're his. Yes, both they're his. He, both his personal boats. Wow. So he's the only person, like I said, that does oh, this trick. And are we talking a tinny? Like it's a tinny. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah. you can really only fit the four of, four you of and us him. in there. Yeah. So then we get dropped off at the start of this hike. And I should, so on the way we're trying to have a conversation with this guy and he's very very reserved and we remember we asked one particular thing was hey Vern what's how's the weather been you know the last few days you're kind of sussing out you know um conditions. conditions and he says to us oh yeah you know what New Zealand's like you know what it's like down here and that's all he said <laughs> to us so um that will be important later because after we get dropped off we hike a few hours into our first hut and so it's a very short day but effectively that short day is going to be followed by what we know is going to be the big day which is a 10-hour day of like river crossings and that's going to be the hard day so we get to this hut and it starts raining and then it doesn't stop raining for at least 30 hours. And we're not talking, and we're talking, as Vern said, <laughs> you know what it's like down here. It's like, well, we did kind of, but we didn't realize how. <laughs> it was like, it was, it's torrential plus. Like it was, it was New Zealand, New Zealand rain. And it rained incessantly. And Honestly, we, we probably really, we were very brazen in even wanting to start the next day. Um, but, you know, we've gone to so much effort to prepare for this thing. We, no one wanted to, no one wanted to, to well, we didn't really know what other choice mm-hmm. we had aside to just go for it. Yeah. And so we, it was extremely wet. We, we got ready in the morning, we're all a little 
oh, I was certainly feeling a little nervous about it um, because of how wet it was. Um, and within, so we started walking that second day of what we thought we knew was going to be the big day. And within five minutes, I was up to my <gasps> chest in water. And this wasn't like one of the river, this wasn't even one of the river crossings we had anticipated on the map. This was literally just the the trail and I was already up to my chest in water. And so you can have all, <laughs> there's not enough waterproof gear in the world that's going to be good enough to keep you dry if you're up to your chest in water. So about a couple of hours in, I was already probably like in hindsight like on the verge of hypothermia yeah yeah and um one of my friends had like tripped and like fell backwards and like almost like had fallen off like like a pretty sheer like cliff (laughs) and and just like just got caught by like just these like branches underneath him but he was literally hanging upside down <laughs> and like like just held by a few like spindly branches um and off the cliff like off the yeah like off the side like off the side <laughs> yeah and then um what effectively proceeded from that was we ended up over the next so we we spent 5 hours hiking and this is where it does get pretty hairy. Wait, so, so we you kept were, going? Of course. That's yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, five minutes in, you're chest high yeah, and yeah, you've yeah. now gotten to five hours. Yeah, so we we effectively then half swam, half like just oh, like I was up to, at one point like I was stuck in mud like up to my thigh and I had the three of the guys like have to dig my leg out and like, haul me out of that so I don't know if I was by myself like how I would have got out of that I was literally like in quick mud wait a minute how does one get themselves in that much mud like (laughs) are you that is a great question are you wading through mud and it gets deeper and deeper yeah like you fall in and it was it was you couldn't at this point you couldn't discern where the trail was it effectively was just like mud water you'd put your foot in and you could just like sink, sink like yeah. straight in because you just didn't know like how didn't know how deep it was so if you just slipped and you you know and we were trying to walk on what looked like solid ground but sometimes it, like when you're exhausted as well mm. it's just like your footing starts to become a little bit more unsure it's just hard to yeah it's hard to function and so I I managed to find myself thigh deep in in mud and I remember like as these guys were like trying to like pull me out like there's three guys like literally like trying to pull me out of the mud I could feel my hip just like just like slowly just like dis- dislocating I was like no like just stop and yeah that was interesting and so we ended up crossing like several st- smaller streams which were like at this point because of how much rain had come through they were like Rap, they were rapids and I still have some like just insane photos from you know one of my friends just like taking a photo back at us and the three of us are like trying to help each other get through like this white water rapid looking very precarious and then 
the crux of it was is that we hiked like that for five hours just like through at the best of times like knee knee deep mud and we get to a river which is now on the map it is it was a significant river crossing but once we got there it was like it was probably like I want to say like 40 50 meters across of just like white water and we just hiked five hours right and so and we had another at least at the very least we had another five or six hours to go and we were all exhausted. We all just wanted to just keep going. Wow. And I remember we were standing at the bank of this of this river and two of our friends were adamant or adamant we're gonna we're gonna do this. Like there is no way, like there's no option. There's no option. We at the time, we didn't even consider the option of turning back. It was like we just have to keep yeah, going. Yeah. And one of them goes, "Okay, I'll. I'm going to throw this rope across to this like to this tree, and if it reaches that tree, we, we're going for it. Like I'm going to get the rope across there. I'll tie the rope on that. We'll all just shimmy our way across, and we'll we'll make it across. And to this day, if that rope had reached that embankment or had reached that tree, I can tell you now we probably wouldn't have made it back because that water, the 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 tons of water that were that was coming through that river would for sure have just taken whoever went first. Like it was foolish. Yeah. So the rope didn't reach, which meant that we all sat on the bank for a moment and went, we really can't do it. But if it, if it, if it had, we would have tried and I, I'm, I am 95% sure it would have ended in, in tragedy had we tried to. Um, we totally underestimated how strong like that rapid was and it didn't reach, so we sat there for a moment. I was, like I said, delirious, hypothermic, um, and, the, and the only option at that point was to turn back. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh, we, know, we knew what we'd just gone through. And so it was a pride thing. It was a, oh, my God, I, I can't, we can't do this. Like it's, I remember all those thoughts running through my head, and I was really delirious at the time because I was – starving and I was hypothermic and I remember saying to my friend I was just like in my very hazy state I was like oh we'll be fine guys like let's just pitch a tent here I just can I just have a quick nap mm. Mm. <laughs> and um uh not a good sign if you're hypothermic if you want to start to sleep that's not good yeah. um and I remember my friends literally like like no this is crazy Eileen and they like took my clothes off me like dried me down yeah like and they did everything they could to to keep me from not like progressing with the hypothermia mm. and then we did we we ended up hiking back 
six hours back to the original campsite and it already and it hadn't stopped raining so it was still raining and so everything all the rivers that we had crossed already everything was higher everything was oh, more flooded wow. there was one point where I will never forget this is like burned into my brain was we had to swim across this lagoon and we had heavy packs mm. on our back and what we ended up deciding to do was throw like throw a rope across and tie the rope and everyone just try to like shimmy yeah. across the rope to yeah. get to the other side and one of my one of my mates went first and he goes into the lagoon and he with the weight of his pack he immediately like flips over onto his back and like starts sinking down oh my goodness and i just remember this is this to me this person this this friend of mine is like my rock. He's the one who when I go hiking and things get shit and things get scary, they're the one I look to to mm. give me confidence that we're okay. Mm. And for the first time in all the years that I've hiked with this person, I've never seen the look of fear on his eyes that I saw that day. And that image is like still burned into my brain to this day of like, fuck, we're in trouble. <laughs> like, this is bad and he like we made it across um but it wasn't without this intense realization of like what uh, like what is like what are we doing (laughs) and then eventually we get back to the hut after you know much relief and say you know we had to ration our barbecue shapes between the four of us, you know, had a small packet of barbecue shapes and had like one barbecue shape in. It's the best barbecue shape I've ever tasted <laughs> in my life. Um, and we get back to the hut and we have to make contact with someone because they're expecting us to have yeah. got to the end. And so they had, pre- we prepared for a pickup at the end. And um, so we had this like primitive, like mountain radio. It was like this big, it was like a brick. And we were like, this is all we have to, like, make contact with anyone. So um, it was one of those classic old, like, yeah, mountain radios where you have to, like, unravel the wires and, like, throw the one end of the wire, like, 20 metres out that way and then, like, you know, 20 metres out that way and just hope that you get a signal. So, yeah, um, we made contact with... It was, it was, it was honestly like it was so surreal. We were all huddled in this like very primitive, basic hut, really cold, really wet, all huddled around this radio and like shifting through the channels, just hoping for like we're just getting static, 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 static. We're like, fuck, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get anyone. Like it's, and so, and then finally, there's like a voice that you know crackles onto the (laughs) radio. It's like, oh my god. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, and we eventually get from them through to the helicopter company that was supposed to pick us up. And then they eventually come and pick us up. The helicopter the next day. Up. The next day, yeah. That's the most extraordinary <laughs> story I've ever heard. Um, but honestly, yeah, wow. but honestly, they're not all like that. They're not all like that. I've been to some of the most incredibly beautiful places in the world. And, um, I love them all for their own yeah. reason, yeah. But that one, that one I had to share because I feel like my friends would be like, what did you yeah. talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, 
no again it's they're all learning experience you know not not what not to do so if you you know if you start a hike and five minutes in your chest deep and water don't keep going like turn that yeah that's so incredible. so um yeah not yeah what not to do 101 i want to cover how you got into bouldering because that's been a big part yeah. of your life in the last yeah. 12 months yeah maybe longer yeah um yeah. and has been the reason for this particular this particular this particular injury yeah um, so firstly how does one go from trail running because that's what you'd been doing a lot of yeah to then bouldering and then like tunnel vision bouldering has set goals for yourself in that yeah look I think it'd be remiss to like for me to mention that I transitioned into bouldering because I um I did a couple of ultras but one in particular a few years ago which was was a really significant milestone in my life, and that was the Buffalo Stampede, and for me that was an absolute game changer. Like it was a that was a game changing event that I participated in. We can chat about that later, but that was a big thing, and for me that was like a pipe dream fulfilled. That for me I actually felt like I. At that point, for for my own, for myself, had done everything that I wanted to do with ultras. It was that it was that big for me, um, and it was actually a friend of mine who, in my you know in this kind of goalless state, was kind of you know come come out climbing with me, and I was like, what is what is this bouldering that you're talking about? Um, and they took me to an indoor bouldering gym um, in Adelaide, and I mean, as cliched as it sounds, yeah, the rest is the rest is history. Um, for those that don't know or haven't bouldered before, or don't really know much about bouldering. There is there is outdoor bouldering, there's indoor bouldering. Um, effectively, bouldering are short climbing routes that don't get too far off the ground, a few meters off the ground. Um, Generally, you should have nice soft mat underneath because there is a chance that obviously if you're falling without ropes and you're falling onto, you know, on, onto soft mats. Um, and there is, yeah, they're, they're, they're short climbing routes. Um, so there's a variety of problems, a variety of different levels of difficulty. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of bouldering in, in a nutshell. So when you first did or the first climb what was it about it that took you oh I think there's a few things I mean it's a wonderful way to move it's I love the physicality about it you're suddenly like playing again. You feel like a child again. You know, if you think about, you know, climbing up your jungle gym or whatever it is and you remember being in a playground, it's, it's like that. And you, you, it's fun. It's like, it's like, is it exercise? I mean, it's exercising without feeling like you're exercising. Um, and yeah, you, you feel like a child. You feel like you're playing. You're discovering all these new movements again that your body 
Like when's the last time you ever climbed something since you were, you know, 10 years old in a in a playground? Um, so in that way it was just it was just fun. It was just so much fun. Um, but then as you get more entrenched in it, there's other things that are really that I really love about it, which is that it's also a it's a mental challenge mm-hmm. very much of the time. So, you know, I think um, for those of those people that ha- you know haven't done a lot of bouldering before or are climbing before, um, yeah, it it surprised me also how much of a like a, like an intellectual activity it is as well in the sense or stimulating activity as well in that. It's, there's a lot of problem solving. It's not just necessarily about, you know, strength and being, you know, having the physical ability to get from one hold or progress mm-hmm. up a climb, but there's so much kind of technicality that's involved with it as well. So you're like learning about movement, which yeah. is really cool. Um, and there's just so, there's so much problem solving. You know, I'd find myself on some days, you know, thinking about, um, you know, you know, not being able to do a climb and then spending the next couple of days literally like just think like thinking about yeah, it, daydreaming it. and visualizing visualizing it and like just excited to go back on that same project again and see if, you know, what I thought was right. So yeah, I think I really find it stimulating in that way mm. too. And then the community is one the the culture that I've experienced within like my community of my, my climbing community is not it, it has been so unique to me um compared to any of the other sports that I've I've been in. I, I've never experienced going into a sport and certainly an individual what really is like an individual sport and just getting like blind support from literally strangers and just anyone and everyone who's who's in there I I think that that culture does does is is a central part of climbing ethos I'm not like a climbing aficionado so I don't feel like I'm the person to kind of talk about like climbing history but you know climbing did as far as I'm aware started off as a fringe sport and kind of a sport for dirt bags and outcasts and that was all they had was climbing. And so there was always a strong, I believe that there was probably, yeah, like always a strong sense of community and certainly there's the culture of, of supporting whoever's up on the wall is really strong. No matter who you are or no matter if they're on the same project as you, you're just wanting to hype them to get them to the top or get to the next move. And I have honestly never experienced that level or that 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 kind of support in any other in any other sport um, in that same way. It's interesting yeah. you say that because coming from trail running, which I think is probably the next sport that is very community based. Yeah, it is very community based. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I should say, absolutely, I've experienced that. I have experienced sure? a lot of support yeah, in trail, trail running. Yeah. This is, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I think because maybe because I'm also when I think of running, sometimes it is a very isolate. Like it's mm, you, you, sure. you can you yeah. do you do it a lot on your own. Yeah. 
um, as well. And then when you have events and when you get together with community, it is an incredible, it is an incredible community, trail running community. It, because you're always in the gym surrounded by mm. people whenever you're doing it, you you get a, you feel like you get a lot of reinforcement yeah. every yeah. time you go. It's interesting. It's really opened me up to that fear to to giving that support as well because I've received so much and it's helped me to thrive as a climber to have this support and to have these connections. You realize that when you contribute to that when you're also there supporting other people you're contributing to this culture mm-hmm. where like everyone's thriving including yourself yeah um and that has carried through to other areas of my life as well like into my work and into, and I found that being that person who I never used to be like I used to be I feel like I think in so many areas of our, our lives we are conditioned to try to get ahead of other people in our work or sport or whatever it is when you're competing mm. and you're so used to having to the goal is to actually like get ahead of somebody else and I remember, I you know, it's really easy to fall into that toxic like I don't want that person to succeed because I want to succeed mm-hmm. and I feel like climbing has actually helped me to to truly feel like what it is to want someone else to succeed and to take myself like out of the picture and to be present in someone else's in someone else's success and it's not to say that I don't ever have any of those kind of toxic com- competitive feelings like I have I you know but being competitive isn't toxic true yes true but want, I suppose, but not wanting others exactly, to succeed yes, yes. is what I mean. And I, I really feel like climbing has, has helped me at least, at the very least, to give, to show me and to demonstrate to me that you can contribute to a culture where, where you want everyone to succeed yeah. and you can benefit from, you can benefit from that. And I, that has carried through to other areas of my life. And it's, and it's, been really it's been a really cool lesson to learn yeah yeah where have you seen or where have you felt or seen the evidence of that outside of climbing so you being supportive of someone else I think in probably like in lots of areas of my life I mean um I think particularly I mean work work is one um, where, you know, I, I, I genuinely feel like extremely proud of the achievements of some of my colleagues and in, in supporting them and, and hyping them to get to where they are, you, you just build, you build a better environment mm. in the work, in your workplace. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's, that's a big one. And I think honestly, just like, literally like in in daily life like I think a lot of um just in general like comparing myself with other people Mm. and you know I'm at a point in my life a lot of my friends are having kids and Mm. and you know right now like I've decided that like I'm not ready or you know and um and you you see kind of people progressing in different ways and 
and sometimes there's like a pang of jealousy like why I should I do I want that you know all Mm. those kinds of things and it just brings me back down to something my psychologist actually said once to me when we were trying to deal with all this like like trying to deal with this internal dialogue and it just brings you back to everyone is on their own path and I actually feel that that's quite synonymous with how climbing is in a way just to bring it back to that because everyone has their own project yeah yeah everyone has their own struggle that they're working through exactly and so yeah why not support them you know I think that's so important and lovely to hear because yes you're right as I and I would think this is just opinion Mm. based Mm. on what I've seen like with today's society with social media it is always one-upping someone or putting this facade or best version of yourself whatever it is I, I yeah I think bringing it back to supporting everyone around us because you're right we we've got no idea we see one percent of someone's life yeah you know whether it is through these face-to-face um contact or whether it's through social media whatever it is it's one percent of what someone's going through we just don't know yeah um so I think that's so beautiful and valuable to hear you have in what it looks like to me from the outside achieved so much in such a little time of being in a sport I think and obviously the people around you would know better than what I do but from an outsider's perspective who doesn't know much about the sport it looks like you've come so far and you are very good at what you do Having said that, now with this injury, Mm -hmm. and I know you had Mm. some pretty big Mm -hmm. goals for this year. Yeah. What, where's your mindset at with the injury, what you've achieved in a short amount of time and going forward for this year? Oh, okay. Where do I start? Um, So I have already, I felt, have learnt a lot from this particular injury about risk management into the future. So if I ever get back to climbing, which I hope when I, I hope you get back when I get back to climbing, um I have learnt a lot from this injury and I and I'm not beating myself up about it, but I also feel that how the events that led that I feel have led to this happening have taught me um, some important lessons. In terms of mindset, um, I, I certain, certainly I feel that I'm 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 really intent on not on, on making this whole thing a better experience moving forward because I don't want it. I I don't want myself to go back to the hopelessness that I felt all those years ago when I did mm-hmm. this side. And so over the years with a lot of help and reflecting on what happened this time, I'm intent on making changes to my rehab this time that I didn't have before, those resources that we talked about that I yeah. didn't have before. 
So I think the first the first thing I would say with respect to mindset is um, I'm going to like trust this process moving forward. Um, I do have incredible professionals around me who are guiding my rehab and I am going to do what they tell me to do. Um, the other thing as well is I am going to make a concerted effort to look after my mental health through this because, yeah, injuries injuries suck. <laughs> injuries really suck and it has come at a time in my life where I did have I felt like I was peaking with climbing or not peaking but at least like I was making the progress that I you know had worked for in climbing um and it is hard to suddenly lose that Mm. yeah it's hard to to suddenly lose that um and so I can recognize the signs with my mental health I can put into place things that will help to make sure that I'm doing everything, like I said, in my control to make sure I look after my psychological as well as my physical health Mm -hmm. moving forward because I know how important that was last time and I didn't have the resources for that last time. So I've made sure I've got my psych on board who, even though I don't necessarily even feel like I need to see her at the moment, I still have her there just to check in. You know, I um have made plans for things that like I I want to do and you know aside from just the knee rehab the other things that bring me joy that I do want to get done over this time that I always complain that I don't have enough time to do when I'm you know training or whatever um so putting in and and also making sure that I'm still staying very much still nurturing the network around me that were there for me to that that, that caught me this time when I fell as in metaphorically (laughs) um um, and and making sure that those relationships are still as strong as possible because that's going to be so important for me moving forward and again something I didn't have the last time Mm -hmm. when I get back to climbing I think there are some important lessons like I said I've learned from this injury um I can tell people what not to do. <laughs> um, you know, the events effectively leading up to this injury, I was extremely fatigued. I'd done three days in a row. I was pushing myself really hard on a particular, you know, on a particular move, throwing myself at it again and again. I recognised after the fact um, that I had really, again, quite um, that that. I my internal dialogue was quite self-critical so when I was pushing myself on this particular move I was thinking to myself the entire you know for like I was I was in my own head then and going and this is this is you know not necessarily all the time this was on the day I kept thinking to myself you know you should be able to do this you sh- you know you know, others can do it, you should be able to do it. There was this really what I would describe as quite unhelpful dialogue at the time. And I think it's ultimately what what compelled me to keep pushing on a move that I wasn't making much progress with. And other people might have just stopped and stepped away going, okay, 
we've had enough for today, let's mm. come back and look mm-hmm. at this later or, you know, looked at it a little bit more constructively. But I can now I can now recognise that that internal dialogue was something that contributed to my actions that day. And so I read something really interesting actually a few days after my surgery um, that just popped up on on social media and it was someone talking about climbing and about how um, hubris or like the lack of humility can often lead to like poorer outcomes in climbing and they talked about how when we don't have and he talks about it as humility the humility to recognize our own weaknesses and we externalize or we put our blame on other things that we aren't we aren't being humble we aren't respecting that we have weaknesses that we need to work on and that day i do feel like that actually did that was quite that resonated with me about what happened that day because if I think about my dialogue that day and how I just kept telling myself, yeah, I, you know, I should be able to do this, I should just keep at being able to throw my body out and I should be able to do this and perhaps and certainly not being in the present and going, okay, well, you know, either we try to deal with this constructively or um, step step away from it and work on this that I can't, you know, I can't do this, I need to go away and figure out why or work on you know, work constructively on this, that really resonated with me that day. And I very much feel like moving forward, I want to work on that internal dialogue and, you know, learn from this experience. Mm. I I follow a influencer yeah. on um she's a fitness influencer turned business influencer yeah and she said i forget it was a very long time ago that yeah. i saw this and i'm like yeah. oh, that's so good yeah <laughs> she goes um we really need to stop shooting all over ourselves yeah and i, I like that's, that. yeah, it's yeah. one of those things yeah. where yeah as yeah. soon as you say well as soon as i say that i'm like wait yeah. a minute what should i like is this actually a thing that's yeah is this ego or, yeah yeah, yeah. and it takes the like responsibility out of it, I think, because in in a sense is how I feel. Because it, it's yeah, it's it's that yeah, putting that responsibility on like external factors. Like yes, I should be able to do this, but like, but are you taking responsibility for for mm. doing it? Mm. Like yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's kind of how I yeah yeah. Or and and like. Why do you have that perspective? Like, where does mm. that come from? Yeah. Is this via conditioning from someone somewhere some experience um and is there truth in it that you should be able to do something or that you should like where's the evidence that you should yeah like you've never done this climb before why should you be able to do it exactly and it's funny because i think you know you said in the beginning that you you know you have this spiritual connection with nature and never would you go out in nature and expect to do something like that and go, I should be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Like because you've mm. got a healthy respect of yep. nature, yep. your ability, yep. and marrying the two. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's super interesting of that's that really, lesson 
for you and that's and a good application forward. of it mm. yeah yeah yes it is a good lesson for me <laughs> mm. you're amazing and I you're I amazing. think you're extraordinary and I hope that you will begin to see that also <laughs> those are very kind words <laughs> and right back at you you are amazing so thank you for having me that's yeah like I said to you it's I'm I feel yeah yeah I feel honoured that you would even you would even contemplate asking. So thank you. It's so lovely to chat to you. That was Eileen Ting. If you are not watching this on YouTube and you want to check out some of the extraordinary adventures, Eileen was so kind to give me some footage and some photos of her adventures. So they are put into the video as well. So if you want to check that out, make sure you go over to YouTube and watch this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode and have other adventure junkies that you think would really love to hear this episode, please share it with them or review this episode or subscribe because all of that helps this podcast keep going really strong. As always, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Have the best day, week, month and year. Stay awesome. We'll catch you next time.